Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. You pray with me. Oh Lord, our God, you are the only true God. Jesus, your name is higher than any other name. At your name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you, Jesus, are Lord. You are matchless in power. There are none above you. You know all things perfectly. You are never confused, never wondering, never questioning. Yet, Lord, you condescend to us. You speak to us by your word, through your spirit. Lord, what other people are there that their God speaks to them as you speak to us? There are none. Lord, forgive us for the times that we seek the counsel of everyone but you. Forgive us for the times that we know the direction that you are calling us to go but we allow ourselves to be distracted by a million other things. Lord, I ask by your spirit that you would remind us we're called to die to self and follow you. Remind us that Jesus is our greatest and highest love. He's the person of our utmost affection. We thank you that we can pray these things, Lord, knowing that they will come to be, for you tell us in in Thessalonians that your will is to sanctify us. And if that's your will, we know certainly it will happen. Lord, we lift before you now those who are sick and hurting, the suffering, the lonely, those wrestling with depression and anxiety, those marriages that are struggling, for those who are awaiting test results, those who are recovering from surgery. Lord, we lift them all to you, knowing that you are a good father. Lord, would you minister to them in the way that you see fit? Would you give us faith to wait on you? Would you bring healing and patience? An abundant faith surround all of us with the love of Christ in the body that is around us here. Lord, we also want to lift up our local churches. Today, specifically, we want to lift up Sumner Community Church and Pastor Terry. Lord, may you use that church in a mighty way to, to minister to the Sumner community and, and the community around them and that you would use Pastor Terry to proclaim the word of God boldly this morning and faithfully. Lord, we also pray for our missionaries today and specifically the Agris as they head back to Africa and they minister to the, both the physically and the spiritually blind. Lord, would you continue to use them in a mighty way to grow your kingdom, to give sight to the blind as you call us to do. Now, Lord, as we turn to your word, we like a 
a land parched need the rain of your spirit to refresh us. We ask, Lord, that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear what you are calling us to. God, would you save the lost this morning? Would you turn back those who are going in the wrong direction? Lord, I ask that you would help me to preach your word to your people in total faith that you are going to accomplish exactly what you set forth. We pray all of this in Jesus' mighty and matchless name. Amen. The rest of you, if you will go ahead and turn to Acts 21 if you're not already there. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Michael. <laughs> For you English majors, I know that that is not a proper title, but that's okay. We'll all get through it together. Uh, to whom are you listening would be more correct, but that doesn't matter, right? <clears throat> I just had to point that out. Uh, once you print it in the bulletin, it's too late. You can't change it. Well, there it is. Good morning, church. Over the past uh, year or so, we've been looking at uh, the apostles' journeys in Acts. Uh, it's only been a short year, like Luke took us three years, so we're flying through Acts, right? We've been looking at what they've been doing, how they traveled over the whole known world at the time. They, they took what Jesus said in Acts 1-8, that you are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and they, they took it very seriously. They, that's a word from the Lord. We're going to do that thing. So they have been going everywhere, preaching the gospel, proclaiming the good news, proclaiming the kingdom. And we see the church, it explodes with growth initially. They just, 3,000 people were told, come whenever Peter preaches his first sermon. But then we get this verbal persecution that comes in. And with that, it starts to change and and it, it stops being just verbal and it becomes physical. We see that some of them go to prison and we see that some of them are stoned Some of them are drug outside the city. Stephen and James are both martyrs. We saw the struggles within the church. We see Ananias and Sapphira. They're trying to to look good, um, but fool the church into, into doing something that they said they were doing, but weren't really doing. We see the struggles between the Jews and the Gentiles. We see the struggles between the Jews and the Hellenistic Jews. The widows, and we see the struggles even between the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. So needless to say, the the start of the early church was not soothe sailing the whole time. But what we do see is there's this determination to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. There's this unwavering determination to go to the ends of the earth, to to build the kingdom of God. We even read last week in Paul, he says, I am already being poured out. That's not where I was going. Sorry, we're going to get there. But in, in Acts 20, verse 24, he says, I don't account my life as any value 
nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. We saw the same thing today as as Joy read. He says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be in prison, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is determined to do that. And then we fast forward and he's writing his last letter and he's heading off to be uh, martyred. And he says to Timothy, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Determined to do what God has called him to do. These are just echoes of what Jesus said in his own ministry. He tells them, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He says, this is necessary. Nothing is going to waver. It's going to change me from this, this goal. I'm going to do that. Why? He tells the woman at the well, The food, my food, he tells his disciples actually, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Nothing is going to take me off of that path. We see the same determination spread through the kingdom, or just spread the kingdom in the early church fathers. Many of them become martyrs, tied to a stake, burned alive. We see this in the reformers. They stand up against the oppression of the word and false teaching of the Roman church. Many lose their lives. Many lose their positions. Many lose their families. And they are determined to follow the will of God. We see this in missionaries from the very beginning who would travel to the ends of the earth to show people, to tell them of Jesus. Many losing their lives. Many losing their homes. Many losing multiple children to sickness in foreign lands, but determined to do the will of God. And church, you and I are called to do the same thing, the same kind of determination to follow God's will, to participate in his kingdom, and nothing should deter us. We should always prioritize God's will over our thoughts and the thoughts and the feelings of others around us. Let me remind you what Jesus says in Luke 23. If anyone would, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. But so many times we get distracted. There's so many things pining for our attention, pulling us in many different ways. What people think, what people are going to say, what, how am I going to look? And the more we get distracted by these things, the further away from action we actually get. Until eventually we just don't act at all. And we find ourselves sitting on the couch and just binging another TV show or signing up for something else that's going to distract us from following Christ. So today, we're going to look at a few distractions, things that often distract us, that come our way, that have the tendency to derail us from following the Lord, and then we're going to see some ways to protect ourselves from those distractions. So we're going to look look first at the distractions from God's will, the things that distract us. 
The first thing is having to leave loved ones to continue the mission of God in which he has called you. Look at verse 1 in chapter 21. And when we, that's Luke and Paul and a couple of others. When we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos and the next day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. What, the words that are translated here in the beginning, and we had parted, the DSV, it doesn't pull out the impact of what is actually happening there. When we had parted, it seems like they waved goodbye, and then they left, um, and then that was it. But the words, it can, they can actually literally be translated, we tore ourselves away. We had to tear ourselves away from the Ephesian elders because we loved them so deeply. We remember his departure. It wasn't just a slap on the back. Hey, see you later. Thanks for stopping by, Miletus. Let me remind you in verse 36. And when we said these things, he knelt down beside them all. This is Paul and the elders at of Ephesus, and they're all gathered in Miletus, and there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul, and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. I'm sure there was a part of Paul that longed to stay in Ephesus. He just desperately wanted to be there. He loved those people. He had spent three years pouring into them in the church, in the elders. He wanted to minister with them, but he knew the will of God was for him to do something else. He had to go somewhere else. He was headed to Jerusalem. You have to start seeing the parallels between Paul's journey and Christ. He is just like Christ was heading to Jerusalem. He was determined to do the will of his father. I honestly believe that this is one of the hardest and most prevalent distractions from God's will. We get so comfortable in this life. We get so comfortable around our family and friends and jobs. And and that's not wickedness. That's a good thing. We're created to be relational beings. We're supposed to have deep love. We're supposed to have that feeling of I'm tearing myself away to go do something else for the kingdom. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, do I love my family and friends and comfortable jobs and homes more than I love God's will or love God and his will for my life? Jesus tells us in Luke, I must have skipped that for some reason, Luke 14, verses 26 and 27, he says, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Disciple. 
And Jesus is using the term hate, not in I hate them, I don't want to be around them anymore, but in the sense of prioritizing them over Jesus. If I'm prioritizing my family over Jesus, that is sinful. I'm making them gods in my life instead of him. It's exactly what Paul says in verse 24 in Acts 20. He says, I do not count my life of any value or precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So here's what's hap- what happens when we prioritize our horizontal relationships, which are super important. But if we prioritize these relationships over our relationship with the Father, we become enslaved to one another. We start looking for our direction from one another. We start looking for our meaning and our purpose and our identity from one another instead of remembering who we are in Christ and what he has called us to. Even godly marriages, if if you cannot prioritize your relationship with Jesus over your husband or wife, you are going to start looking at them for meaning and you're going to exalt them into the place of God and they're always going to fail. Ask my wife if you're wondering. Not that she does that, but that I do fail. The same goes for parents. The same goes for friends, for coworkers. The idea of leaving doesn't have to be physically leaving. I'm, I'm not saying leave your family and go to the mission field. That is not what is happening in this text. But leaving anything that is your highest love and Lord over your life and following Christ. Because any relationship you prioritize over Jesus will distract you from his will, even if they have your good in view. These apostles or these disciples, they they weren't maliciously saying, Paul, don't listen to God and go to Jerusalem. They're saying, don't go because you're going to go to prison and probably lose your head. Because they loved him. Any relationship you prioritize over Jesus will distract you from his will. So we have to ask ourselves, what, who is my highest love? Is it my family? Is it my friends? Is it my coworkers? If so, I'm going to be distracted from God's will. And when I'm distracted from God's will, I'm actually never going to love them the way that I'm created to love them. Because I'm placing them in too high of a place. So another distraction we see is a distraction from God's will and having to wait. Now, a lot of times we skip over these verses. Uh, we set sail, we parted, verse 1, we came by the straight course of Kuz, and the next day we went to Rhodes, and then we went to Patara. Everybody's like, who cares? And having found a ship, crossed over to Phoenicia, and we went aboard and set sail. We had come in sight of Cyprus, and leaving it on the left, we went to Syria and landed in Tyre. And from there, the ship was to unload its cargo. We think, okay. But Paul is journeying. Remember, he's making haste to get 
to Jerusalem. He's in a hurry. He wants to get there. He wants to be there for Pentecost. He's urgently trying to get there. He's just said a heartbreaking goodbye in Miletus, and now he's trying to get to the disciples there in Jerusalem, and he's on this journey, this long, boring journey where he's having to stop here and unload cargo and then sail for five days and and wait and have these all time-consuming errands and seven days here, and he's just longing to get to Jerusalem. I remember whenever I was flying home from Afghanistan, I'd been gone for about 18 months. I was at Camp DeWire, and from Camp DeWire, I flew to Camp Leatherneck. Not that you care where those are. Then Camp Leatherneck, you wait a couple of days to get a flight to Bagram. Then you go from Bagram to Kuwait, and in Kuwait, you're waiting two more weeks to get on a plane. And then from Kuwait, you fly from, I can't even remember, I, this is how important that was to me. I just blocked it out. I can't even remember where we landed. Somewhere in the Midwest, uh, we had to out-process for two more weeks, and I just wanted to be home. Like, this is just this long, grueling journey to get from Afghanistan that should take about 20 hours to my house. took me a month to get there. It was difficult. My heart longed to be with my family. A lot of times, we hear the calling of God in our lives. We see the direction he's leading, but we're, for some reason, in this holding pattern. We're just waiting circling the airport, waiting to land. And for many of us, that's too much. And what we have a tendency to do is solve our own problems, which usually goes wrong. Because we're a people that we don't like to wait. We, especially in America, in our time, and in our culture, we are Amazon Prime people. Like, two days Seriously, it's not coming until the third day? What's wrong? I need a refund. Why don't I have my stuff? I get irritated if it takes a week. I remember as a kid having to get my Boy's Life magazine. I wanted a a dog tag, and you cut it out, and you'd write your information, and you'd put it in an envelope. You don't remember what those are, and you'd mail it off, and it would take like two months to get it. But I didn't know any different. Now, if I order something and it takes four days, I'm very frustrated. We're fast food people. Like, we, we want our meal hot and fresh. We want our complicated Starbucks order perfect. By the time we pull from the, the thing we order from, 50 feet away, it better be there. I mean, I've given you 50 feet. You should have my meal ready. So having to wait... For God's plan to come to fruition for us is sometimes just terrible. It's torment, we think. We think, this, I've been waiting forever. And at times, we all, uh, and at times, we all have this distraction. It's distracting us from following God's will. We think the waiting is distracting us. It's not the waiting that's distracting us. It's our attempts to solve our problem and not wait on God. It's a distraction. We start doubting God's will, his calling on our lives. Instead of of wanting to become um, 
Instead of waiting, we start thinking of these theories and, and these possibilities. We think, maybe I had it all, all wrong. Maybe the Lord didn't want me to serve my neighbor because they are, maybe they're mass murderers. And that's why they haven't gotten back to me, so I'm not going to do that now. I'm not going to reach out to them. Y'all laugh, but you've probably had some kind of thought like that. Maybe. Or maybe more realistically, maybe you don't think your, your neighbors are mass murderers, but maybe the Lord doesn't want me to share Christ with my family because they're just not responding, so I'm just going to leave them alone. Maybe he's saying, do it a little bit differently. But waiting on the Lord is going to build our faith. It's in that time of waiting that we're going to grow, that we're going to prepare, that we're going to pray. The word tells us, wait on the Lord. Wait for the Lord, the psalmist writes. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The reason waiting never feels strong, right? It feels passive. Like, I could totally solve this on my own if we just... If the Lord would just give me the reins. Wait on the Lord. Be strong. The only way we can be strong in waiting is understanding who he is. That he is much more in power than we are. Habakkuk, everyone's favorite book. I know it. For still, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Wait on the Lord. Because a lot of us, we think our timing is better and more fully thought out than the eternal, all-knowing God of the universe. We, and I know we don't really believe that, but in practicality, that's how we live. Like, if he would just let me do this, I have thought this through. I know what I'm doing, But Isaiah, he sounds a warning for us. He says very clearly, if we want to solve our own issues, he says, whom of you, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So he says, just wait. Trust in God. Wait for him to move. And then here's the warning. Behold, all of you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, who walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled, this you have in my hand. You shall lie down in torment. If we don't wait on the Lord to move, if we go and say, I have got this, I know he's God, but I'm going to solve this myself Here's what we have waiting for us. Torment, heartache, hardship. Waiting is hard. I get it. And it doesn't have to mean being inactive as you wait. Paul is not inactive as he's riding the ship, as he's going from port to port. He's ministering all along the way. Look at verse 4. Having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. Verse 7, when we had finished that voyage from Tyre, we moved to uh, Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. 
It's just a day. We went, saw them, we discipled them, we encouraged them. Verse 8, on the next day, we went to Caesarea, and then we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. We, verse 16, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we could lodge. So during his waiting, he's seeing all these opportunities to breathe life, to disciple all of these other disciples. So his waiting isn't wasted. He has opportunities. We all have opportunities in the everyday to honor and serve the Lord. So even, through, even though the Lord may have called you to something and you're waiting for that to happen, in the meantime, live for the kingdom. Do what you are called to do as the people of God. Waiting isn't the distraction. Waiting is the preparation. The distraction is solving your own problem. So don't allow yourself to get distracted from the will of God because it isn't happening in your timing. Remember, his timing is perfect. It is absolutely perfect. Your timing definitely doesn't see everything. Another distraction from God's will is often the opinions of others. Look at verse 4. And having sought out the disciples, so they've sailed and they're now in Tyre. We sought out the disciples and we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And if we read that, immediately we think, why didn't Paul listen? They were through the Spirit telling Paul to not do something. Like, is he being disobedient to the Lord? Has, is he just hard-headed? More than likely, here's what's happening. These people, following the Lord, they're good, godly believers. And they heard from the Spirit that Paul is going to suffer when he goes to Jerusalem. He's going to be bound. We see that later. He's going to head off into, into prison. They know what happens to Christians they know that they're not going to say, oh, good, Paul's here. They hated Paul. What more than likely was happening is they were translating, you're going to suffer to we don't want you to suffer. So don't go. They're translating it, what the Spirit showed them was going to happen to we don't want that to happen. But they had misinterpreted what the Spirit was revealing by adding their own feelings to what he was showing them. You know, we don't want that to happen. We, we want Paul to stay with us instead. And they claimed their interpretation as direction for Paul. And the Lord had already revealed to Paul in every city he said that he's going to suffer. This isn't new information for Paul. Every place he's gone to, people are like, don't go, Paul. They're going to kill you. He's like, I know. Seriously, stop telling me. I know. It's going to happen. So they attempted to stop what was God's revealed will already. And we have to be very careful when we're telling people and when we're listening to people when they say, this is the word of the Lord. If it doesn't align with scripture, you can immediately write it off as bad advice. 
This also speaks to the common Christian saying, I will pray about it. So often we say, I will pray about something. Uh, Paul could have said here, I'll pray about it. It means um, I need time to figure out how to get out of this. Uh, So I'm going to say, I'll pray about it. And then I will come back to you with a pretty good um, excuse. But Paul, he didn't need to pray about this. He didn't need to tell them, well, okay, let me take that advice into account. And I'll go pray about it. He had already been told by God that he's going to do this. Listen, you don't need to pray about something the Lord has already revealed in Scripture. (laughs) If it's already a command, do it. He's not going to change his mind and be like, man, never mind. Your situa- I didn't think about your situation. You're good to go. You don't need to pray about the Lord if he wants you to share Jesus with your neighbor. He does. He's told you that. You don't need to pray about getting involved in ministry and Hauser Community Church. It's a command. He's equipped everyone in the church to be part of the body, to build up the body. Too often we allow our feelings about what the Lord has revealed to overrule what he's commanded. We interpret God's will to mean something that is not going to inconvenience us or make us uncomfortable. So we just take his command and adjust it. This is how I feel about it. If you've ever been in a Bible study with me, I've probably told you it doesn't matter what you feel about it. It matters what the word of God says about it. So we say things to get out of it. Like feeding this homeless person is probably going to enable them to be uh, and remain homeless. It's very clear in Scripture that we're called to love the weak and lowly. We say things like, I feel like the Lord is, is telling me to reduce busyness in my life, so I'm just not going to do something in the church. Instead of thinking, maybe I should drop something outside and, and invest more into the church. Be very careful how opinions and feelings and desires change what you think about God's will. We see this again in verses 10 through 12. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus, we've already seen Agabus, he's, he's said something already that there's a, a, a drought coming, so he's been proven as a prophet. He comes down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt, and he bound his feet and his hands, and he said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, We and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Again, they deeply loved Paul. They didn't want to see him suffer. We see the same scene with Jesus and Peter. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go up to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day be raised. Here's how Peter responds. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. 
For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter's love for Jesus, a good thing, plugged his ears to hear what God was calling Jesus to do. Why? Because he was setting his mind on the things of man and not on the things of God. He was setting his mind on his immediate desire. I don't want to lose you, Jesus. I love you. I don't want to see this happen to you. Instead of, if I do this, I'm going to save all of humanity. He wasn't thinking about that. He was thinking about, I don't want to lose you right now. We're going to often want to get out of suffering. And we're going to want people to be delivered from suffering around us. We're not going to want anyone to suffer. That's just natural. But we have to understand that following Jesus is going to cause suffering. Jesus promises this. We will suffer if you will suffer if you follow me, he says. I think we often think God doesn't want us to suffer. And ultimately, he doesn't. That's why he died on the cross, to deliver us from suffering. But in the meantime, right now, we have to understand that we are going to suffer. And he is redeeming that suffering. He's using your present suffering to point other people to the eternal hope where there is no suffering. So we must not allow, like Jesus, like Paul, the idea that suffering is distracting us from living for Jesus. We must not think that because following Jesus is going to bring us or someone else dis- discomfort or, or strain or hardship or suffering that that's not the will of God. That may very well be the will of God for their life. Really, if we're never suffering for Jesus, we're probably not following him. We'll suffer by helping someone if we follow Jesus. Financially, we're going to have to sacrifice something we want to help someone else. We're going to suffer by stepping out and telling someone about Jesus. And that is very uncomfortable at times. And sometimes you will be rejected. We're going to suffer to serve others instead of kicking our feet up and allowing someone else to do it. We're going to have that time that we set aside. I was going to watch that video, that new uh, season or that new episode that's out. Instead, I'm going to deny that and I'm going to serve this person. We suffer by dying to self and living for Christ. And every time we're pointing to Jesus when we do that. Finally, the last thing we see in this passage that distracts us is our desire to please other people. Look at verse 22, sorry, 12 and 13. Everybody's like, we're not even there. 12 and 13. When we heard this, we and the people urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, the disciples are pleading with him not to go. 
And you know there has to be this tug in his heart to not go, just to stay, to not suffer. But this breaking of his heart, we see that this pull, this desire to please people, I don't want to let them down. So we need to say, how do I determine if I'm seeking to please other people over God? Look at what Paul does. He acknowledges the struggle in his heart. What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. Why are you pulling me in that direction? But then he proclaims God's will. I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So in comparison, the way that we know if we're seeking to please people over God is if, if our desire is not to say, this is the will of God, even though you're breaking my heart, I'm going to do this. We're, we're seeking to please people if we say, well, maybe I will do this so that you're not breaking my heart and I'm not breaking yours. This comes from the fear of man. When we seek to please others, we're worrying about what they're going to think about us instead of worrying about what God is thinking or desires. Our desires to please others will always move us away from God's will. So we have to quickly, I know I've gotten really excited about this, so talk about some distractions or protections from these distractions. First and foremost, we need to know the will of God. And a lot of you are thinking, yeah, easier said than done, Craig. I'm looking, I've been looking. Paul, he says it in verse 13, I'm, not, I'm, I'm ready not only to be in prison, but to die. He knows what the word of God was. He, he knew the direction he was going. He was, he was told in Acts 9, um, the Lord said to him, for he, oh, he's talking to someone else, but for Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry the name before, or my name, before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for, my, for the sake of my name. He knew what he was going to do. He knew he was knocked down on the road to Damascus and received clear instruction from the Lord. More than likely, you're not going to be knocked down on the way home and receive this revelation from the Lord. But you can come to the story of Scripture, the revealed will of God for your life right here. It's given to you. It's on your phone. It's on your iPad. You can listen to it. You can watch it. There's movies about it. You can see the story of Scripture, and you can understand the direction God is moving in all from all eternity and say, where do I fit in? How do I become part of that grand story of redemption? You can come to Scripture, and you can understand what the Lord expects of you. He does not make it very difficult to understand. He shows you how you are to live, how you are to treat people, that you are to love Him more than anything else, and you're to love others like yourself. That's how you are to live. You can come to Scripture and you can hear clear commands. You are to build up the body of believers. You are to participate in the local church. You are to share the gospel in how you live and how you speak. You are to reflect Jesus to the lost, to care for the homeless, to care for the weak, to care for the orphan, to care for the widow. These are things that you are to do. Commands. 
You were to pray and visit the sick. I think so often we have this idea of God's will, that it's this secret path that he has hidden. And if we could just like move the switches in the right direction, we'll figure it out. Like it's some puzzle that he has put for us. Let me give you a secret. That's not how he works. He is not, he's not putting all of this puzzle in front of you and having you put it together. He's telling you what to do. He will lead you in a direction. He will put you in a location. And you are called to live how he calls you to live. If you are following him, he will show you. You're not going to trip and fall outside of God's will like, whoops, I, I accidentally missed it. If you're living for him, you will walk. Your desires will become his desires. You will be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So seek to know God's will by being in his presence, by being in his word, by being among believers, by diligently seeking him. And then seek godly counselors. And I know you're thinking, that seems very contrary to what happened here. He was around godly counselors and he doesn't listen to them. But remember, they were speaking a word that was contrary to what Jesus said was certain. So in seeking godly counselors, you are to seek people who are in the word, men and women who are people of prayer, who are led by the spirit, and then listen to their counseling and then measure it with the word. And if it aligns with the word, do it. You're to know the will of God, spend time with him regularly. Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer and he was the son of God. Constantly in relationship with the father. I think we often wanna know God's will but we're not willing to sit in silence. We're not willing to listen to the spirit or wait to hear the spirit or search the word. We have a crisis, it's usually how it goes. We have this crisis, we have a decision to make, it's coming up. We flipped through the Bible. We didn't find anything because we opened it like three times and it said something about uh, Paul took these men and the next day they purified themselves. And that doesn't make any sense, so I'm not going to do that. We shoot up a prayer. Nothing happens. Then we Google it. It's like 17 minutes. That's it. That's all we were willing to wait to see. We're, we're going to post a forum on Facebook and see what everybody thinks. That's, that's how we often do this. Church, that's not spending time with God. That's not listening. That's not waiting on him. That is all distraction. Take time and wait on him. Wait before you even go to social media. Listen. Your feelings are going to be fickle. Wait for God to show you. Social media is full of bad and not thought out advice. People just fire off what is the first thing they think. Don't allow the noise of the world to distract you from God's will. Another distraction or protection from distraction is just having faith in God's will. Look at verse 14. And since he would not be persuaded, we seized and we said, let the will of the Lord be done. Go back to five. 
When the days ended, we departed and we went on their journey and they all with the wives and the children accompanied us and we were outside the city and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell. These people, they expressed their desire, they expressed what they thought was going on, but they trusted God's will. They said, you know what? Let the will of the Lord be done. Faith is knowledge plus belief plus trust. We grow in knowing God's will. We, we learn it by reading the word and being around godly people. And then we, we get that knowledge. Then we have to actually believe it. And when we believe it, we walk in it. And that is faith. Faith in God's will is going to protect us from being distracted by our own will. If I know your direction, Lord, is perfect, I am not going to follow what my feelings think right now. Finally, we protect ourselves from distraction by actually following God. Look at verse 15 and 16. These are verses that we usually just skip right on over. After these days... We got ready and we went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to a house of Nason, the of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Just for a second, look at these words. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. They were obedient. We often say, okay, yeah, naturally that's the next step. But we have to think like that is, they actually do it. He knows God's will, he trusts God's will, and he walks in it. He actually does it. He's obedient. And not only was Paul obedient, the ones who were saying, don't go, Paul, go with him and support him. They go with him and say, this is what God is doing in your life. This is the direction he is leading you. We're here. We're going to support you. Many of you are sitting at a crossroads of obedience this morning. You know the Lord has called you to step up. He's called you to volunteer. He's called you to lead your family. He's called you to be baptized. He's called you to repent and turn from sin. He's called you to join the church as a member. Some of you... You're sitting at the crossroads of obedience because you need to ask for forgiveness or you need to give someone forgiveness. Some of you need to get in the word. Some of you need to pray. Some of you need to serve. Some of you need to get in a small group. Some of you are called to go. Some of you are called to serve, preach, teach, give. Don't settle this morning with just knowing that God wants me to do something. We all know God wants us to do something. I'm just going to close by reminding you of the excuses everyone gave Jesus in Luke 9. They were going along the road and someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. but The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And another said to him, follow me. Or to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, help, let me first go bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We all have things that distract us. We all have things to say, but Lord, let me first. But he's calling us to follow him. Some of those things are not bad, like going to bury his dad. <laughs> not a bad desire. But Jesus is saying, your, your priorities are wrong right now. But they become sin. Our desires become sin when they override the direction the Lord has for us. We must always prioritize God's will over our thoughts and our feelings and the thoughts and the feelings of others. So what is it that's distracting you today from following Jesus? Spend time in this morning repenting, turning towards him. Perhaps some of you have never truly followed Jesus Christ. You have been shown that this morning. You've said a prayer maybe. You've attended church your whole life maybe. But you've never actually followed Jesus. You've never once suffered for him. You've never followed him by sacrificing yourself and your desires. I would call you this morning to repent. To turn from your sin to follow Jesus there will be some of us at those tables in the back. Come pray with us in the next songs. We want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. Perhaps some of you are derailed this morning. You've just been derailed from following the Lord. You've allowed busyness in your life and the thoughts of others to distract you. Repent this morning and follow Jesus. Come and pray with us. Let us encourage you this morning. Believer, you are given the spirit of Christ. You have Christ in you and you are in him. Walk in the truth. Follow Jesus and truly live. Let's pray. Father, you are so patient. You amaze me by how you gently remind us that we're being distracted. You amaze me by how you sometimes shake us <laughs> to wake us up because we're distracted. Lord, I pray this morning every single one of us would see the distractions in our lives and we would turn them over to you, that we would follow you, that we would set our, our eyes to your will and not be swayed one way or the other. Lord, we can only do this by being your people and being strengthened by the spirit of Christ in us. You promised to do these things, so we are just praying them in faith. In your precious name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591. 
or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.